I don't say this to brag because I've only been doing it for a couple months, so I have nothing to brag about. Uh, but uh, I, go to, I go to this uh, body pump class at Good Life two times a week. Uh, it's like a functional strength training. It's a barbell workout with moderate weights and lots and lots of reps for one hour. Does anybody do body pump? If you want to come, I'm always by myself at body pump. There's, I have no friends there. If anybody wants to hang out and do body pump with me. Is it hiding? Is it in my backpack? Okay, thank you. Aaron brought me, literally brought me three other Bibles and the one I wanted. But thank you so much for being willing to serve. Okay. <laughs> so I love going to this class, this body pump class, because um, um, I know that I need to be doing resistance training. It's good for my health and blah, 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 blah. It's a pretty fun way to do it. Uh, but the thing I like most about going to a, a class instead of doing exercises on my own is I appreciate someone just yelling at me for 60 minutes and telling me what to do. And I think that maybe that's weird, but like, I don't want to go to the gym. Some of you, like some of you go to the gym and you like have, you know, like lists of workouts and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this many reps with this many weights. And this is what I did last time, whatever. No, I don't have even time for that in my brain. I just want to go to the class. The only thing I have to remember is, you know, what is my squat weight? What was it last? What was it last time? Like, what? What's my bicep weight? Whatever. It's super easy to remember, and I just go in, and somebody yells at me for 60 minutes. It's the best thing ever. Um, but one of the things that I don't like about this, the the problem with with me and exercise just in general. So this is this is a good example. This this like weightlifting class. Um, the thing that's bad about exercise is um, I have a very low tolerance for pain. In in like not in the like. Uh, I don't think I'm really super wimpy, but I mean like self-inflicted pain. Like when you go to work out, you're choosing that pain. And I, I don't, for me, it's the lunge track. So there's, because every, this, this class is like, there's every, there's a song for every major muscle group in the body. And there's like one track, it's right near the end of the class and it's just all lunges. Like, Lunges are the actual worst. And I'll be like in this lunge, and I'll be like, I'll be like, I'll be like, you're supposed to be doing, it's supposed to be more like quads and glutes. I'm like, why is my calf burning? Is, this, is the calf supposed to be burning in this? I don't understand. Like, I hate this track. And you know, you're right. Let's say you're four minutes into this lunge track, and everything hurts, and you think, I can't, I'm gonna fall, I'm gonna fall over. And what does your instructor say right in that moment? Oh, can you feel the burn? Challenge makes change. <laughs> no, I just like, I don't like it. It's always something like that. And they're always saying something like, lean into it, embrace the pain. It's like, that's how you know that, you know, what are your goals for 2024? That's what's been going on the last couple weeks in class. Oh, I'm like, nah. So like, literally, I'll be like, this is literally me. I'm like, no, you know what? No, no. I am too old to be in this much pain. I've like, I'm like, I've hit a point of pain. That feels like enough challenge for me. So this is always what happens to me? So I had to set personal goals that I will try to finish the, the song. Like I have to try to, like I have to try to get through it. I, I have to really mentally prepare myself for it because I hate it so much. Um, I will only take a rep off if I absolutely, if I think I'm going to fall over because what's worse than the pain would be embarrassing myself like that in front of the class. You know what I mean? So you have to weigh out, you have to weigh out each one. I, I just, I'm not one to embrace the pain just in general, and I don't, I don't know, how about you? I know some of you actually do. I, I know some of you go to the gym because I live with somebody who does this all the time, and it's, like, fun to see how much it hurts and, like, how, much, how many reps they can do it and how fast, and I'm just like, mm, that's not for me. And I essentially, like, I, I just am not one to embrace the pain, and essentially, um, that's what we're going to talk about today. 
of course, not physical pain necessarily, but maybe, uh, but spiritual and emotional pain. How do we do at embracing the pain? Last week, I introduced this uh, This Is The Way series that we're doing for January. And in January, we want to learn what church is all about, what it means to follow Jesus. And um, we're going to use the letter that Peter wrote, his first letter that he wrote to the churches to help us with this. One of the core components of that, which we talked about last week, was worship. Um, We talked about uh, a lifestyle of worship. We talked about the intention to praise God every day, that that's literally what the church is doing. We are uh, living stones being built into a spiritual house, and we are declaring the praises of our God. And and so that's what we are supposed to be doing. That's, That's the first thing, because in all of our life, he is first. So that was what we titled that message. The second component, well, as you can see, as I said on the graphic, the second thing that we cannot escape when we start talking about the church and about what it means to follow Jesus is suffering. Because no matter how I look at the New Testament's instructions for the believers and for the church, I cannot get away from how prevalent and core suffering is in the life of the Jesus follower. It is in every book of the New Testament. And 1 Peter, of course, is no exception. And in fact, um, as we pull out a few passages from this short letter, um, I want you to know, I did, this isn't all of them that mention suffering. So there's like five chapters in this letter, and um, this is, these are just a few of the times that suffering is mentioned. Understanding suffering and expecting it are absolutely core to our faith journey. Is everyone encouraged this morning? You're like, listen, we barely got here today. We had to dig out. It was minus 18 with the wind chill. Why? Why suffering? I think the Holy Spirit landed this on purpose today for us. I, bu- I planned this a long time ago. And to be frank, we don't actually have it very hard as Canadian believers. We have rights and freedoms. We have uh, social safety nets. We have protections as citizens. And these are all really wonderful. And I'm so glad to live in Canada. But they have left us lacking in a very important area as believers. And that is to have a good theology for suffering. Because suffering is so much a part of the human experience. And we really struggle to know what to do with it when we live in a culture, in a society, in a place that's so developed and has so many comforts and and so many safety nets. We have become experts in relieving suffering. We have developed medications and treatments for anything and everything. And we do that as soon as we possibly can. We have distractions of every kind to ensure that we don't get too lonely or too sad or too bored at any given time. Some of these things are not great for us. I think we know that, but a lot of them are incredible. It's amazing, the medical innovations that have come and, and all of those, those wonderful innovations, but, but they all do serve to relieve us of any sense of discomfort or suffering that we encounter in life. This is what we consider to be normal. Um, we don't suffer with a headache. We take an Advil, right? Like, this is just what we do. We are looking for ways to relieve suffering. Like I said, that's not a bad thing. That's just true. We have the ability to do that, and we do. And, of course, I should also note that some of the greatest suffering, especially illnesses and things like that, that we see around us, that maybe we have in our own life or in our families or people that we love, um, haven't, don't actually have a way to relieve that suffering. And that's one of the hardest things in life. So how do we understand suffering in our lives? Well, we're going to read uh, four passages from 1 Peter, and let's see what we can dig out of it. So let's go to 1 Peter, which is near the end of your Bible there in 1 Peter 
chapter 1. We're going to read 3 to 9. If you are in version, of course, it's uh, the version Bible app. version, you can go more and then events, and these are loaded up there for you already. So we did a little bit of 1 Peter last week. We're actually going to go uh, before we, where we were. We're going to do verses 3 to 9 here. It says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so right away here, we get a little view of what Peter is explaining to the church is the point of suffering. It says, he says that suffering equals a faith that is proved genuine. And he says that if this is true of you, that your faith is proved genuine through what you suffer, that you will, rec- you will receive honor from Christ. Like we're always reading about giving honor to Christ and as we should, but that when the salvation of your souls is, is your gift and you're going to receive honor from Christ to say like, really well done, well done. Right away we understand here that suffering is closely linked to persecution. This is what we're going to read all through First uh, Peter, certainly all through the New Testament. The original uh, readers of this letter were Christians who were scattered all over Asia Minor. They were being persecuted for their faith. And scholars believe that Peter uh, knew or probably was, was guessing, had a good guess, that even more difficult persecution was about to come to them. Nero was likely the emperor of the Roman Empire when this letter was written. So we're, we're talking about a time when Christians were being burned as human torches in Nero's garden and being... Uh, like fed to the lions in the Colosseum. So this is the kind of persecution we're talking about. Their, their choice to believe in Jesus put their lives at risk every day. So when we talk about suffering, when we talk about trials, we are talking about like suffering. The statement that though that he makes here is in all this, what do you do? Verse six, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. For a little while. You can rejoice. This is happening. You can rejoice. And just for a little while, your life is going to be horrible and you might die for your faith. That's essentially what he says. And the thought of for a little while is actually woven all throughout this letter. Because it's pulling back, it's, it's pulling back their perspective and, and, and letting them see their difficulties and the dangers that they are in and that they are experiencing from a different a viewpoint. At the very forefront of their thinking as the church was the second coming of Christ. Jesus was coming back for his church and the hope of that made it possible to endure whatever it was that they were going to be suffering. Now or in the future. And in fact... 
the point here is that, that when you are suffering, when you're going through trials, it's not a sign that Jesus has abandoned you. Just the opposite. They were supposed to understand that it's a sign of the glory that is coming. It's a sign that you are living in a way that is worthwhile, that you can identify with your Savior, that you can say, I am willing to, this is, this is changing my life in such a way that I'm willing to give my life for it. It's a, it's a sign of the glory that is coming. Verse 6 and 7 tell us that there, there are, this, is, this is how we can withstand anything that comes to us, he says, because of what we are looking forward to. It doesn't matter what happens in this life. We are just passing through. Like We, we, are, we are looking for a permanent home, and, and our, which is coming to us. So because we know that, we can withstand whatever it is we're walking through today. We can withstand anything if we remember that every trial is, in fact, a test of our faith. And it's not the kind of test that's like a pop quiz, like I hope you pass. It's the kind of test that you can pass and are given everything you need to pass. Uh, because it says in verse 5 that we are, our faith is shielded by God's power. And so our faith is tested, but like in the best possible way. A, a test that you can absolutely pass. And we know that we can withstand anything because in the end when Jesus appears, we will receive praise and glory and honor from him. In other words, that well done, good and faithful servant. So, so whatever we are walking through today, as we walk through with our trust in God, with our eyes on, on Jesus and, and, and on his kingdom, we can always say, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be okay because I, I know what I'm looking for. So no matter how our faith is tested, no matter what happens in this life, this scripture says we are protected now and in, in now our, our, our faith is shielded. We will pass the test if we continue to trust in God. And, of course, we are safe in eternity. We are just passing through. So continue on in 1 Peter. We're going to skip a couple of chapters. Like I said, we're, gonna, we're, just, we're pulling um, scriptures out on theme for this month because that's kind of how Peter was writing. But we are going to come back to some of these in the next couple of messages. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 say this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Uh, here's a little thing that's fun to say if some a scripture starts with therefore then you ask yourself what is it therefore <laughs> what's it referring to because we're sort of jumping into the middle of this so that therefore there is referring to Christ's suffering which was just back in chapter 3 uh, verse 18 you can just take a look at that therefore like in in view of Christ's suffering and all that he suffered for us is the idea here it says to arm yourselves so so as a soldier putting on armor like Ephesians 6:13 that armor of god like kind of that same idea like a soldier putting on armor arm yourselves with the same attitude as Christ who suffered for us which was talked about in chapter 3 Here's the thing uh, that I hope you already knew, but I don't. I feel bad if I'm bursting the bubble today. But nowhere in the Bible are we taught that the Christian will always be prosperous and avoid suffering. So if you are sold that um, at, at any point in time that uh, it's like health, wealth, and prosperity is yours in Christ, it absolutely is in eternity. And he absolutely will meet every need that you have now. But 
it does not say that we are going to avoid suffering. Rather, Jesus suggests the opposite may be true. It doesn't say anywhere in Scripture that God wants you to be happy or, or that happiness is his number one priority for your life. What we are guaranteed, though, is some measure of suffering or trouble. Amen. Let's go home. <laughs> that's, the, that's something that we can be sure of. We don't, we don't know how God's going to bless our lives. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what we're going to have as far as material possessions or health or any of those kinds of things. But we do know that we will walk through some trouble. We also, of course, we, as we already talked about, do know that in eternity, all of this will be made right. Jesus of course, said in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's the promise. He also promises that we will have life and life to the full. Um, that, that doesn't mean health, wealth, and prosperity. That means that we are given new life to the full. And so suffering actually gets really wrapped up in our eschatology, which is what we believe about the end of all things. Because if we have an eye on the return of Christ, um, it completely shapes our ability to endure suffering now. And, and not only just endure it, like, you know, just barely getting through it, but allowing what we suffer to shape us into the character and the attitude of Christ as we're being called to in the scripture. So basically what it says is that uh, suffering means that we are done with sin. And if we are done with sin, then we are living for the will of God. It's not that when done with sin, of course, can't mean that you will never sin again. We know that that's not. That was only Jesus. But if you have suffered for doing right, if you have obeyed God, even in your trouble, if you have trusted him, it's clear that you've made a break with sin. It's clear that you've said, I am living a different way. I am not one foot in the world, one foot in the church. I am just decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Suffering will do that for you. You've shown what is important. You've shown what is more valuable when you trust God through the things that you suffer. And so we keep going in 1 Peter chapter 4 and start at verse 12 now. Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Hey, meddlers are just lumped in with murderers and thieves. Just I wanted you to notice that. <laughs> However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is Time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. 
He says, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that you're going through. That, that word surprised not only means, uh, has that idea of being disoriented by something that's happening, but it's uh, hidden in that word in the Greek is this idea of it, it being a long-term disorientation. And there's something in that word, too, that, that kind of speaks to what can happen. You can become resentful and bitter about your circumstances over time. That long-term disorientation, that long-term surprise often leads to long-term bitterness. When you're surprised or, or taken aback or wondering why you're going through the things that can be so quickly get into our spirits. But believers should not view suffering as strange or foreign. Our sufferings are not accidental. They are not interfering with God's purposes for our lives. The fact is that sufferings can be part of his purpose for our lives, which can be really hard to grapple with. Peter is writing to mostly Gentile believers here. And most of the Gentiles wouldn't have really had experience with persecution. Most of them wouldn't until they decided to follow Jesus. And he is writing to them as a member of the Jewish race, perhaps the most persecuted people on earth. And he's trying to help them to understand persecution in its truest terms so that they won't be discouraged, that they'll understand that they're not doing something wrong, but in fact they're on the right path and that something else better is coming. And so he tells them a few things about, about persecution in this. He says it's inevitable. The very, the, the very goodness of Christianity can be an offense to the world. It can be offended by twinges of conscience as they see how the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And, and so you will almost certainly be persecuted for it. He says that um, suffering and persecution tests our willingness to suffer it, and it tests the genuineness of our faith. And only Christians who don't compromise and, and stay true to what they know is right will be persecuted. If you compromise, you probably won't be. So it tests, it tests your, your resolve to follow Jesus regardless of the circumstance. And also, um, it's, it's sharing in the sufferings of Christ. It allows us to walk in the way of our master, how he walked. And so if we do that, it says we'll also share in his glory. And so with that, we read in this passage that suffering equals being blessed. Because, I love this phrase, the spirit and presence of God rests on you. When you walk and are, and, are, and are suffering, you are persecuted, and you stand firm in your faith, and you trust God in it, you are walking in blessing. The very spirit and presence of God rests on your life. I want the spirit of God to rest on my life so much. I, I, don't, I can't think of another way that I would want to live my life. And so the question then becomes, am I willing to walk through the testing of my faith to experience the work that he wants to do in my life through it? I, I want to say yes, but I'm, I'm soberly asking the question. And then lastly, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 to 11 say this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, 
firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Here we learn that suffering equals being restored, strengthened, established, and secure. Through suffering, God will restore us, it says. And this picture um, of, of being restored is like setting a broken bone, something that has been broken but is now set correctly and becomes stronger once it fuses back together. It's the picture um, also of repairing a ship after a storm, making it seaworthy again. This is what suffering can do in our lives. If we accept it humbly, it can repair weakness of character. Um, It can add greatness to our lives. It can can bring us closer to the Lord. I read this little story um, as I was uh, studying for this message. and It said that the composer, Sir Edward Elgar, once listened to a young girl singing a solo from one of his own works. She had a voice of exceptional purity and clarity and range and almost perfect technique. And when she had finished, Sir Edward said softly, she will be great when something happens to break her heart. There's this idea that when we walk through something, that process of being restored, that process of being held and seen and uh, and changed and uh, having our character developed through that, makes us so much deeper, so much more able to minister, so much, so much more able to connect with what, who God is and what he's doing around us. Scripture also says that uh, suffering will strengthen us. A life with no effort uh, inevitably becomes flabby. Hence, again, if you guys want to come to Body Pump, let me know and uh, we can do that. We, we don't know what our faith means unless it is tested and tried by fire. William Barclay says there is something doubly precious about a faith which has, become, has come victoriously through pain and sorrow and disappointment. A wind, the wind will extinguish a weak flame, but it will fan a strong flame into a greater blaze. When our faith is exercised and tested, It isn't weak and unable to stand. It becomes strong and able to to withstand whatever life throws at it. It says also that suffering will establish us. There's this word that kind of uh, is alluding in the Greek to like making us as solid as granite. Because uh, trials and tests and, and persecution and suffering will collapse us, perhaps, It will show our faith for what it is. Or it will leave us with a character so solid that that it couldn't have been made any other way. But, But when it's tested, it allows our faith to literally be solidified like granite. And it cannot be shaken and it cannot be broken and it cannot be moved. And suffering also secures us. It says, and again, the Greek here is to lay foundations so It's like, think about securing yourself to a sure foundation. Suffering drives our faith down into things which cannot be shaken. Or as one commentator said, our trials are not meant to take the strength out of us, but to put the strength into us. Or our suffering does not destroy us, but it purifies us. I think I have it on the slide there. Thanks. But let's just be real at the end of this, uh, all of this about suffering. Let's just be real about suffering for a moment. 
Because the context that we're reading it in and the context that we're living in are not the same. There is a distance between what these exiled Christians in 1 Peter were suffering and what feels like suffering to us. We're quick to label a lot of things in our, our lives as suffering. But we also know that in perspective here that our lives are not in danger. We're not on trial for our faith in Christ. But yet we, all of us probably in this room would say we understand something about what suffering and trials and testing of our faith would look like, but it, it doesn't quite look like the, the Christians who were first reading this letter from Peter. So how do we close this gap? How do we understand this? Are we, I don't want to create a sense of false victimhood, like we're the same as them or what we're going through is the same as them or that kind of thing. Although I, I did, we did come in this morning and wonder if we had suffered a little. I walked my dog at 6 a.m. It was minus 18. I felt a little bit like I was suffering. But then I came into my warm house and I had made the choice to, uh, you know, like these kind of things. We don't always understand suffering, especially in the context of how we're reading it this morning. I don't want to make myself into a false victim, but I, I, I have walked through some extremely difficult things in my life. So how do, I, how do I do that? How do we make sense of this? I think there's just two ways that this, these passages in 1 Peter can help us. Uh, the, the first one is that we can use these passages to gain perspective. It's not a one-to-one -one relationship. Uh, I'm so grateful again. There are, there are believers all over the world who are experiencing the kind of persecution that this early church did. We don't, we don't have that happening here. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the opportunity that I can share my faith without worry about what that's going to be. The only thing that's going to be lost in that alpha invitation is my pride, really, you know, if somebody says no or isn't interested in, in what I want to share. So, like, this is a pretty good place to live. But I still think that these passages can help us to gain perspective when it comes to any kind of suffering or trial or persecution. I called um, our message on worship last week, He is First. I'm calling this one, this is a weird time to tell you the title, if we're right at the end. I'm calling this one, He is Second. I mean, I am second. <laughs> he is not second. What's with the heresy? I just keep saying at the end of my messages. <laughs> One of the board members was like, we're going to have to sit down and talk about that at our next board meeting. No, I corrected it. Last week, worship, he is first. This week, suffering, I am second. I definitely stole this phrase uh, from the filmmakers with this name, I am second, who started sharing testimony videos uh, with a consistent theme. I don't know, maybe, maybe you've seen some of these. Um, that there were many people who had tried to live for themselves, and then it left them addicted and alone and purposeless and lost. This is from their website. But only when they put Jesus first in their lives did they find peace and freedom. So I am not first. I am second. He is first. So when we look at the persecution of the early church and the struggle, and we, we kind of struggle to relate to it, we can use it as an opportunity to um, pull back and ask ourselves an important question. Ask us if our faith, the way it is today, would stand if our lives were on the line. We can ask ourselves, what are we willing to do or not to do or to say or not to say or to pick up and, or, or to give up for the sake of the gospel? What are we willing to do? Would our faith stand if we were receiving this letter when it was first written by Peter and sent to these churches? Would we be able to say, I am 
I am, I am so convinced about who Jesus is that I am saying, yes, I will, I will, everything else is, everything else is second. He is first. Is that where our faith is today? I think these scriptures can really challenge us. Am I truly second? Is he truly first? What does my faith really look like? And if it's not there, and if I can't say that, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I'm, I'm that convinced. What am I willing to do to find out? Is he worth the effort? Is he worth the, the, the pursuing and, the, and the, the seeing who he really is and if he really is all he said he is? Because if he is, he's worth my whole life. So we use these passages to gain perspective. And we can also recognize trouble as a test of our faith. We don't have to say, I mean, maybe it's helpful, and we say this a lot if we're going through something difficult. What do we often say? Well, other people have it worse. And you're right. It probably doesn't matter what we're going through. There's somebody else going through something worse. But I will still say we can use these scriptures to recognize trouble as a test of our faith. So it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be persecution under Nero in the Roman Empire. We aren't hoping for persecution. It will probably come to us even here in the West at some point. We aren't out looking for trouble, but that does not mean that God isn't using what is in our lives today to test our faith. He's a good father, and he, he uses each circumstance and each trial, every sickness and disappointment in our lives to try our faith in the fire. He wants it to be refined. He wants us to be strengthened. He wants it to be established. He wants us to be secure. And so if we lean into it, he will use every circumstance in our life, regardless of how difficult it is. In fact, if it's difficult, it's even better in some ways because it just says, I can trust God and he will walk me through. My faith is not shaken. In fact, it's becoming as established and firm as granite because I can see God working and I know he's with me and I know that this is not all that there is. So whatever trouble you face in your life, you have the opportunity to look back at these scriptures, look at Christians who have suffered for like for 2,000 years and say, I know where my faith is. I know who I can trust. And I know that he is going to use this to establish me, to secure me, to restore me, and to strengthen me. So I'm going to say yes to that as much as I really, really wish I wasn't walking through the circumstance I'm in. We are guaranteed trouble, but we are also guaranteed a father who loves us and will use it to discipline us and to, to firm up our faith and established and secure. So while I, uh, Matt, I can invite you and the team to come. Uh, while I understand that it can be a bit of a downer to think that one of the core components of our faith is suffering. I hope that you don't feel that way. I hope that you understand there is nothing that's going to prevent you from suffering in your life. That's just the way it is. If you've lived every, any number of years, you already know that that's true. But what I'm telling you is the greatest news ever and that is that it doesn't have to be meaningless. You are not walking through it alone. And that if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, that you understand that there is coming a day when he will overcome the world. Everything will be made new. 
and everything you have walked through will be a reason for him to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I'm looking for in my life. The trouble, of course, happens when we are in the middle of something that feels like it's drowning us. Physical sickness, some kind of a broken relationship, some kind of a mental, spiritual anguish. I mean, there are just so many things that could be going on with this group. Same with you off, off, um, off campus. There are just so many things that can go on in our lives. There are so many things that can go wrong in this world. I know some of you are experiencing some of the darkest times in your life right now. And I'm telling you this morning, this message is for you. To, to pull back a little bit and say, my faith, my circumstances are, I don't even know, like I can't think of a word, it's so much less than ideal. But I want more than anything for my faith to be established and firm. I know that I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I know that he will sustain me and keep me. I know that in the darkest of nights that he will come and tell me that he is with me and be present with me. I, I, we could probably go around this room. I, uh, I know uh, one of our church members is um, off campus today. I was uh, chatting with her this week, and this is exactly her testimony, going through so many difficult things, physical suffering. It said, in the deepest and darkest nights, in the pain and in the trouble, he goes, that's when I feel the Holy Spirit come. And say, I, I know, and I'm with you. It's a whole other message about why he doesn't just take everything away. <laughs> but I think we've already read some of that this morning. He will use everything as he tests your faith to strengthen you. So whatever you're walking through today, be encouraged. That it's not, don't be surprised by the fiery trial that you're going through. But know that he um, sees it. He's planned for it, and he is using it for his glory and for yours. We serve a... a, a